Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever on the Wing Podcast. This is a Pheasants Forever Journal Extra edition featuring our editor, Tom Carpenter, editor of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever Journal. And Tom wrote, I, I always feel awkward when I call you Tom because you're carp to everybody. Uh, but but um, Carp wrote an article titled 11 Mistakes Pheasant Hunters Make. And we're going to dive deep into that one on this episode of On the Wing Podcast. Uh, welcome back, Carp. Thanks. It's good to be here on the, uh, what for us in Minnesota anyway, is the eve of pheasant season. And I think Montana is starting up. By the time this podcast is out, we'll be started. And they're just... North lo- Dakota, too. North Dakota for the first first session with residents. And um, they're all lining up right now. So it's a good time to be doing this when, when folks are starting to listen. Um, they're either going to be in their season or maybe on their way to their their opening day and so so you wrote this article 11 mistakes pheasant hunters make it it's it's a one of the it might be the most listened to podcast in our uh, close to 100 was last year's it was 11 well remind me the name 11 secrets 11 strategies Strategies. for public land roosters that's right so uh, so 11's your lucky number yeah you know you always think of a top 10 and i'm like top top 10 10's been done a hundred (laughs) times maybe a million maybe a million so i go with the bonus with one extra with 11 it's you know i've had many uh many aspects to my whole career and I'm, I'm happiest now what I'm doing, but, you know, marketing is part of my background too. And, and I was always good at coming up with these oddball numbers, you know, top 10 who everybody's seen a million top 10 lists. So I, I go for top 11. How do you feel about a baker's dozen? Uh, that, that would be good too. But I, I, again, that's been done a baker's dozen times. <laughs> So so let's go with 11. And so I, I'm, I've, believe it or not, and you probably can, I've already got some ideas for what 11 things we're going to do next year for a, <laughs> I for a hunting do. topic. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll preface uh, right from your words. Um, so the title is 11 Mistakes Pheasant Hunters Make. And if uh, folks are members of Pheasants Forever, then you will have been able to read this article in the Pheasants Forever Journal's fall issue. Uh, If you're not currently a member, please do sign up at pheasantsforever.org. If you missed out on the article and sign up uh, as a result of listening to this podcast, drop me at bobs at pheasantsforever.org or carp at tcarpenter at pheasantsforever.org, either one of us. A note via email that says, hey, you heard this podcast and you want to become a member. And even though this fall issue has already been mailed, we'll take good care of you. We need members and uh, we need you to join. And you can do so at pheasantsforever.org. All right, we're going to dive deep into 11 mistakes pheasant hunters make. And Carp wrote in his uh, uh, leading paragraph, Knowing and avoiding the following 11 pheasant hunting mistakes can help you get a bead on more birds this fall and create the kind of luck that ends up with one of the most satisfying feelings in the world. I love this. <laughs> a roostery sag in your game bag and long tail feathers streaming out the side. Hell yeah! I, I mean, when you, right? Because when I read that in preparation, I was thinking, you know, we, we all feel that sense of pride. You know, it, it, it's so much fun when that rooster flushes and cackles and you, you make the shot and the dog does a retrieve and then you take the photo and you're... But, but that final element when you slip the bird into your vest and the feathers are sort of sticking out for the rest of the world to see is like, yeah... I just did it. I did it. Well, I'm, and that's uh, hopefully people can identify that with that because I sure can. I mean, I've been known to, you know, we all we all make little uh, forays throughout the day. You know, you got one spin here. You go to another spot. You hunt. I've been known to keep my rooster in my game bag for my next <laughs> spin. 
because okay, I don't do that. I, that won't surprise the pe- that won't surprise the people who are listening to this who have hunted with me. So that's how that's how important a rooster. That's how good a roostery sag feels. Seriously, so you go from spot A, take all your stuff off, throw the dog in the truck. Get out for spot B and keep the rooster in the vest. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Even if you're in like Kansas with three roosters in your No, I'll I'll do it with one though. I'll do it with one. No, not three is too many. It might it might hinder my shooting a little bit. Yeah, I do. So that's where I'm. I'm a little. I'll I'll definitely throw that rooster proud proudly on top of the dog's kennel and then move on to the next spot. But uh, uh, it is a magical feeling when you find that success. And, and that's and that's what we want to do. That's what these 11 mistakes are all about is, you know, everybody, you know, we all do a lot for habitat. We all do a lot for heritage, but it's hunting season now. And part of the reward is, is shooting some roosters. Yeah. And that's what this is about. And there's, um, there's active, you know, there's a couple ways to go to go at strategy. You know, one is there's active things I can do. There are approaches I can take. There are ideas I can utilize. There's behaviors of the birds I can take advantage of. There's there's habitat I can look for. And those are all important. But what this article is about is what are what are some of the old mistakes that people make old and new uh, and and the idea is i can avoid these things i can avoid these these behaviors of me as a hunter and um some of them are very clear mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe obvious maybe not it depends on your experience level and hopefully some of the some of what we talk about applies to or it will apply to various levels of of hunters where you're of hunting experience whether you're going out for your first year pheasants or like me i think it's my 47th Mm -hmm. so it's uh there there's a lot of there's a lot of different ideas here and some some things as people are listening hopefully some people are nodding their head yeah i know that and hopefully there's a few things whether you're no matter what end of that experience scale you're at that you're going yeah that that's not a bad thought Hmm. or it's something i haven't thought about before or it's the excuse you've used forever yes (laughs) yep yeah and 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 i'll say this if if as you know when we get into the meat to some of what we're going to talk about i think the goal here is if you're listening if you come up with one of these 11 things is an idea that you take and and say yeah i'm i'm that makes sense i'm going to try that mm-hmm. then we've done our job here with the article and and the podcast all right without further ado number 1 and it's in my opinion perfectly labeled as number 1 on the eve of the opener. Yeah. Right? So the number one mistake, wait for the crops to get picked. In other words, ah, there's too much corn standing. I'm going to wait a couple weekends until it's harvested. Right? That's number one mistake on the list. Why is that a mistake, Cart? Well, because all pheasants aren't in the corn. I, and I don't, and, and this comes down to habitat, but... I don't care how much corn is on the land, how much of the corn crop is standing. If it's 100%, 100% of the pheasants are not in that corn, especially especially if the habitat is good, especially if it's the type of habitat complexes we as pheasant hunters are looking for. And we as pheasant forever, as pheasants forever, are trying to create a complex attached attached pieces of of cover that you know maybe there's 160 and 80 acres and a 320 here but they're all within a pheasant flight of each other and that habitat is prime Mm -hmm. and when there's prime habitat there will be pheasants in that habitat they're not all going to be in the corn so that that's one aspect you just have to hunt if you don't hunt you're not going to get birds Mm -hmm. and we all know in today's age, you know, whether you, even if you have access to private land, which most of us don't, I'm 90% a public land hunter, you can't walk through cornfields anyway. And, and it's not that productive. <laughs> and, it's so, not, and it's not fun. No. And especially, I mean, when I think back to when I started pheasant hunting and, and the farmers where I hunted on their land, 
they picked corn with an attachment that attached to their tractor, and the rows were three to four feet wide. Mm -hmm. I mean, now you almost have to walk sideways Mm -hmm. to get through a row of corn, and it's eight feet tall to boot. Um, So, but to get back to, it's a mistake to wait for the crops to get picked. And frankly, as a public land hunter, if, if all the crops aren't picked, I sort of hope you do stay home because that means I'm going to be out there shooting the birds. And that's the other aspect of this is there are never as many birds on the landscape as there are the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, <laughs> right. the fifth day. Now, they're all going to diminish with the it, crops going out, it, right? It diminishes, and they're younger. They're not as experienced. And who, who doesn't want an inexperienced rooster or two? Now, now here's another aspect of, of waiting for the crops to come out is a, mis- is a mistake, is that when crops are in, like we're, and we're we're mostly talking corn here because that's where pheasants will use that to to hide in like a lot of game will, but when there's corn standing, you have a place to go hunt during that golden hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, like as we talk right now, we're on the eve of the opener, and I'm talking to my hunting partner, and he's he's got family and friends out in western Minnesota where, where we'll be hunting. And he's saying, corn is starting to get picked. And I'm like, well, I hope it's not all going to get picked. And the ideal is to have some of it picked Mm -hmm. and some of it not. Because I guarantee you, on an evening with the last 45 minutes of light, we will have driven around during the afternoon. And if we need another rooster, we're going to be going to an area where standing corn abuts grass. grass. And And I can't guarantee you that we'll get a rooster, but I can guarantee you our chances are way high because we're out there and those roosters are either going to be flying or walking out of that corn into the grass. So if you are a hunter that says, you know, I have a lot of reasons not to go and that's because this weekend and that's because the crops are up, I'm going to wait till they're picked. It's, I'm like, well, yeah, go ahead and stay home and I'll be shooting your birds for you. Right. It, it, it's a parallel excuse for the rough grouse hunters that say, ah, I'm not going to go opening weekend too it's, because it's so thick. Yep. Right. All the leaves are up. Um, rough grouse hunting, it, it's about the only week weekend that you get um, the broods together. Yep. Which, because the fall shuffle and the dispersion happens really quickly once hunting pressure starts. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, to see a, a covey of 12 or, or so rough grouse get up on opening weekend is just mind-blowing. Yep. And so it, it, it's redeeming quality for going out. There is some rationale. Behind, it is so thick and there's mosquitoes and it's warm. And I can talk myself out of going rough grouse hunting on the opener and deciding to go sharpie hunting instead right yeah yeah. um but i can't talk myself out of going pheasant hunting on the opener because of crops it's a parallel rationale but they're not equal in my opinion yeah um for the very reasons you talked about there's more birds on opening day than any other time and there are strategies with pheasant hunting unlike any of the other birds that you can employ about time of day to find birds, right? They're not going to be in the corn at the very beginning of the morning, and they're not going to be there in the evenings, the, the golden hour, as you mentioned. So yeah. there's ways to defeat that mistake, number one. All yeah. right. A state mistake number two. And this one, this one to me is, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Good. <laughs> mistake number two is when people avoid midday hunting. So tell me about going hunting midday. Well, nobody's ever accused me of not bucking a trend or conventional wisdom, and this one does. And here's, here's, the, uh, here's why, is when you think about pheasants in the morning, and, and I don't know if, you, if you're hunting in Montana where you can start at dawn or some of the states where you can start at se- 7 or 8 or 9, you know, there's different, a lot of this depends on when you can start, but pheasants are moving in the morning right. and in the late afternoon. I'm not going to say the evening. I would consider evening when that sun is hanging on the horizon and you've got 20 minutes left and then they're, they're locking in. They're, they're to roost. To roost, yeah. But there's, there's definite movement early in the day as they feed 
and late in the day as they come as they feed again and come back. So let's we're we're, we're forgetting the crop angle here now. Okay. Let's just not even think about crops. Corn is picked. Who cares? So what happens? It pheasants are on the move. You're coming through. Your dog is there. That pheasant's on the move. He's getting a scent. Pheasant's moving. He's going to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's say let let's let's imagine this. It's a November day. You you don't have a rooster yet. You've hunted the first two hours of the day. You take a break. It's 11 a.m. Have a little early lunch, and you're like, yeah, we're gonna take a break because mm-hmm. these birds aren't moving. That's a time to go hunt them. Yeah. Especially if you've got. I don't care what dog you have. We're not even gonna talk about flusher pointer. It doesn't matter. That bird at midday is loafing, and that means it's in some cover. It's tight. It's sitting. And he's a lot, he is a lot less likely to move. He's more likely to sit. And these are, the, these are the birds where if you've got a pointing dog, you're coming along, and all of a sudden, whoop, that dog swings and it's on point. And it's like, what? And that, that bird is locked in. Yeah. It's, it's in its spot. It's hiding for the day. Weather, maybe the weather is crappy, and he's not going to move. Yeah. And, and you've got a chance at it. Same with, your, same with your flushing dog. You're coming through. The dog's circling and circling a little bit, and it's like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Is that bird running circles? No, the dog's trying to find the darn bird. Mm-hmm. For me, and, and you've made this point um, in a couple different times, a lot of it comes down to the time of the season, yeah. right? Like <clears throat> if it's November, uh, December, all the crops are picked um, and birds are, are using those. Yeah. Crop, absolutely, I'm going to hunt midday. Yep. I mean, no doubt about it. Now, I still believe early mornings in the golden hour are best. Yes. And you, you don't disagree with that, but I'm still going to hunt all day. I'm going to hunt midday. Where where I would challenge that just a little is we head into an opener that's yes. in theory going to be maybe 70 degrees, yep. right? And thick cover and warm. And, and, and you agree with this too, I know. I mean, you're already shaking your head. You're going to hunt the morning, the prime time, you're not going to burn out your dog. Yep. You're not going to risk the warm weather, the tiredness of you or the dog. And you're going to come back out into the evening when the birds are moving. Yep. So you're right. This is an important component to hunt the midday, considering some of the other factors. Exactly. Right? Yep. It, dog, consider your dog. What What's the temperature? How, mu- how many dogs do you have? Do you have one like me or do you have three? Uh, do you need to get a bird? How much energy do you have? Do you want to, I mean, there's, there's so many factors, but like, like all these 11 mistakes pheasant hunters make, if you've got dog power and the right temperature and you want to get a bird, there's nothing wrong with hunting midday. And I think there's a lot of advantages to it. And, and you're, you're right, Bob, I think the ideal time, I mean, when I think of midday hunting, I think of We'll pick out a day, oh, November 14th, a sunny afternoon. It's, it's you know, yeah. it, it, the birds, they're, they're locked in some thick cover, and I need a rooster, and I'm going to keep hunting because my dog, my dog can go all day, and I can go all day. Yeah. Something that I, I think is a theory of mine, or I'm going to throw it out there as a theory of mine. <laughs> you tell me what you think. I believe the golden hour is more important um, in, in northern states for some reason. Uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota. For some reason, when I've hunted in Nebraska, Kansas, it doesn't seem as critical. And I don't know if it's maybe in some of those states I'm hunting bigger properties, more grass, less farmland. Um, but it seems the farther north you go, the more that birds use uh, are moving in the golden hour. What do you think of that? I guess the only thing I, the thing I would think could be a factor is days truly are shorter and, and they've got a lot more, they've got a little more concentrated time to do this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that could be a a part of it. I mean, even when you think about, I was in Kansas last January and there was probably an hour more total of daylight than there would have been in Minnesota at that mm. time of year. So, I mean, that could have something to do with it. Um, I, I think it's a little more extended maybe to the south that, that it's, it's more concentrated in the It north. might be, you know, as I think more and more, it, it might be just that correlation to how much grass I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it could be I'm just bigger, <clears throat> bigger properties in Nebraska and Kansas where it's, you know, patchworked Here. in the up north here's the other theory i may have is thinner cover mm, in, true, the, yeah. in the south almost invariably in in south mm-hmm. in quotes i think nebraska and kansas um that's true because it is thinner grass yep. thinner cattails in the great if, plains if than cattail if cattails at all yeah yeah and and up here there where are they where are they uh it's they're they're getting it's it's a little thicker cover they they if it's really cold they might be in the cattails and mm. then they're they're locked in for that golden hour um they and they could be in fairly thick blue stem or or something like that some good native grass so Hmm. all right number three mistake number three treat pheasant hunting as a casual endeavor come on carp this is this is supposed to be relaxing this is supposed to be just just chill i get my the the idea here is and it might be uh I don't know how you describe it, uh, yin and yang, rich man, poor man, uh, opposites is there might be hunts in your season where it's the whole family or it's the group or it's the friends and, or it's the buddy, the college buddies, and there's seven of you and it's fun and we're walking and, and uh, we're going to have a good time and maybe we'll shoot a bird, maybe we won't, but when I'm serious about, I need to kill a pheasant today. <laughs> and there are days in my life where that's, that's my number one goal. Uh-huh. And when that happens, whether it's me alone or me and a partner or two, the idea is I, I treat it like a deer hunt. Mm. You don't treat it casually because pheasants are as wary and as aware as big game. Mm. They've got big eyes. Peel, their, peel, a, peel the skin off a pheasant once and see how big his eyeball is. Take a look at those ear holes and mm-hmm. see how big they are. They are. Or the feelers on their feet. The, right? they, yep. can, they can feel the vibration of, uh, of you coming. Yeah, I mean, the old, the old tale is that in World War I, uh, pheasants 100 miles away or, and across the English Channel in England could f- hear the vibrations from the artillery in France. Hmm. because they're that sensitive to it. So all those they're hearing, their eyesight, their their general wariness is if you treat it casually, you run the risk of every pheasant in the neighborhood gone. And how many of us have opened up a car door Mm -hmm. and late season especially and every pheasant is flying out the other side. Is and, and a lot of it, we throw up our hands and say, oh, what are we going to do? Well, the first thing you did was you drove up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of techniques that you can take to not treat this hunt so casually, but treat it, treat those pheasants, especially the later the season gets on, with respect they need. And I tell you what, we're, even, we're on opening day here, and... They aren't dumb on opening day either. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to sit there with their heads looking at you above the grass as you walk toward them. So what? how do you do this? How do you not treat it casually? One of my biggest deals is I don't get ready where I hunt. Like if I'm going, if I'm taking a day trip mm-hmm. and I drive two hours and I'm in some pheasant country I want to hunt, I'll stop in town at Casey's or mm-hmm. wherever it is, go in the back, get my dog ready, get myself ready, get my clothes on, get my boots changed, mm-hmm. and then drive out to the place where I'm going to hunt. What do I do when I get there? I let the dog out. And I, go. I grab my gun. I go. And and I'll, when we've talked about this on other podcasts, I'm un, very unlikely to park at a parking area. Mm. I'm going to park somewhere where nobody else parks. There's there's so many, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more with some of these other tips so we won't cover it too much here but i won't it, it's pretty obvious when you get to a parking area what the logical circuit is mm-hmm. don't do the don't do the logical circuit but even more important than that don't park when everybody else does and even more important than that don't open the car door hey where's it there comes the dog get the dog or get back here and whistling at the dogs and yelling and laughing and putting mm-hmm. clothes on that that's a surefire way to if those pheasants aren't going out the other end they're they're snaking through that cover and they know it they know the jig is coming when i read uh, no, mistake number um, number three treat this as a casual endeavor 
I thought about a book uh, written about rough grouse hunting that in a derogatory way called Pheasant Hunters, Pheasant Hunting Bubba's. <laughs> And do you know what book I'm talking about? No. no. Is it, it Wolner's old book? No, no, no. It's a more recent book. But it was it was derogatory. And the person that wrote it really just, you know, they, they're hardcore rough grouse hunters and didn't really pheasant hunt. And their perception of pheasant hunting was game farms in, in East Coast. And, um, you know, overweight blockers that, <laughs> you know, just game farm birds. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, I'll... I'll challenge it. I, I, as listeners know, I love every type of upland bird hunting. I, I love rough grouse hunting. Pheasant hunting is the hardest, in my opinion. To walk, cutting through cattails, particularly up in the northern states, uh, cat, cattails are thick and in grass, and it's the hardest workout yeah. of any of the upland birds. I agree. And I- it's not even close. And, and that's where, you know, I read this, and I was thinking, well, carp's going to rip on uh, you know how some people just view it as blocking and casual and that you know pheasant hunting is badass i uh i just on one of my sharp tail hunts this year in south dakota I, I discovered on my on my on my phone that when it's in my pocket it tracks steps and on the biggest day i hunted which i'll say by the way was the day i did not get a sharp tail i walked um 19,000 steps which is about nine and a half miles, mm-hmm. more than that. It was almost 10 miles. And I'm more tired after a day of December pheasant hunting than oh, I was yeah. after that. I mean, that was like a, right. a stroll through the... Three miles of December pheasant yeah, hunting, right? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're clomping through snow, you're busting through ice, you're be- beating cattails, you're picking cattail cattail hair out of your eyes and your snot and uh mm. it's uh i agree and so that's there's nothing casual about hunting pheasants successfully mm-hmm. and and it starts with how you treat them mm-hmm. as far as respecting them their eyesight their ears their feelings and treating your body to eat a banana in the morning otherwise you're gonna cramp up there's yep. your there's your uh pheasant hunting hack for this issue, <laughs> this episode all right number four <clears throat> the mis- mistake number four hunting with a crowd Come on, carp! Pheasant hunting's the ultimate camaraderie hunting. Well, I'll harken back to how I introduced treat, treat, don't treat the hunt casually. Mm-hmm. With this one, is there's there's times and places you're going to hunt with a crowd, and that's yeah, fine. Yeah. But there's also times and places in, and I would be surprised if anybody listening to this does not feel this way that. Their, their best hunts, their most memorable hunts, their favorite hunting. And quite frankly, their most effective hunting is when they're alone, just them with their dog or maybe a partner and a dog. Mm. But you're probably not even really hunting together. You're just maybe going your own separate ways. So let's just say you're hunting alone. There's nobody there. Um, it's just, it's special in, the, in its approach and how you work with your dog but I also think it's more effective in the way you can hunt in a quiet and method in a quiet and methodical manner. And we'll also get this also leads into some of the other tips that we'll get into maybe toward the end here is it allows you a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. There's and and we're giving away one of the future tips here, but th- this is this is really related to it, and that is. You can set up a plan, but once you get hunting, there's going to be a lot of reasons not to follow that plan. And if you've got a crowd, it's not easy mm-hmm. to coordinate a shift uh, right. of, of your, I'll call it your campaign. And if, if you do, what does it involve? A lot of yelling and screaming and communicating and shenanigans and the pheasants know and they're gone yeah so that that's that's this tip is there are places there there are times and places and situations where there's really nothing more enjoyable than hunting with friends and family and partners however we want to describe it but there's a lot of reasons if you're serious about i want to kill a pheasant today do it alone Mm. with your dog yeah opening weekend Maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas. Yep. There are times when it's um, entirely enjoyable, right? And, yep. and incredibly memorable to be with family and friends. But yep. then, you know, if if your goal is to uh, 
put a couple of birds in the pot, uh, you know, you and one other hunting partner and a couple of couple of good dogs hard hard to beat here's my other reason for not hunting a crowd and it leads us into number five a little bit and that is i never shoot as well as <laughs> other people oh that's a perfect opening so <laughs> so mistake number five shooting at a bird's body how should you shoot at a at a rooster carp shoot at its head shoot at its beak yeah what's that what's that uh, old um Old slogan, but, butt, bird, beak, bang. Butt, bird, beak, bang. In other words, swing through the body, yep. get in front of it, pull the trigger. Keep the gun moving. Yep. And far be it for me to give shooting advice. That That's the best I can get, though. And, it, and anybody anybody can concentrate on a bird's head, even, even the point of its beak, to make sure you're getting out in front of it because they, they – you have to lead that bird, and the best way is to let your brain take care of it. Mm. How do you let your brain take care of it? You let you you keep your gun moving. And he, here's the point: is what's a fe, what's a, a tail feather length, average length? What would you say? Average length? Yeah. Uh, Eighteen to twenty inches. Eighteen to twenty inches on a mature bird, even if it's fifteen, then you've got you've got fifty probably fifteen more inches of bird. You've got thirty inches of bird there. And about half of it is useless to you, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two thirds of it, because uh, you know there's some there's some credence to like, well, I, I'd rather take out this legs than its wings if I'm going to take out not everything and mm. drop it, mm-hmm. but because they can't run as like they can with but. If you're shooting at the front, at the head, at the beak, you're more likely to hit up front where you're supposed to because how many of us shoot at a pheasant and you see a puff of feathers and it just keeps going? Well, what have you, you've, you've, what have you hit? You've hit those Tails. rump feathers yeah. in the tail yeah. and it's just going and hopefully it didn't even injure it. It's just, <laughs> it's yeah. just missing a bunch of feathers. So it's a pretty simple one, but it's an easy mistake to make is to look at that. I mean, pheasants are big. And they're tough. And they're tough. Think of a three pound. Oh, what is a rooster? A three? Six. Six yeah. pounds, I think. No. Well, what, what, they're, they're, they're big and they're tough. And that body is in uh, late season and feathers. I mean, don't, don't, that, it takes a lot of killing and it's easy to shoot behind them. Yeah. So shoot at their head. Yeah. All right. Number six. The number six mistake pheasant hunters make. Make cursory swipes all right this is uh you're known for taking toodles through the through the pheasant country what's a what's a cursory swipe and how how's that different than a toodle a cursory swipe is is pretty simple it's it's when you're here's my best example is I'm pulling up to a spot. There's that parking place. All right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk the edge. There's corn there, uh, corn stubble. Oh, it'd be good to walk that that cattail edge on the backside. You get over the hill. Oh, there's some willows. Uh, okay, that was a nice swing. And I had a, we'll call it a, a quarter section. I had a 160-acre piece of cover, and I walked it in 28 minutes. Hmm. Let's go. Where's next? And I'm like, you know, if you covered that 160 acres in 28 minutes, you didn't cover it. Hmm. And I would rather work that. I mean, it might take my dog and I three hours to hunt that Mm -hmm. because we're going to go back and forth and Toodle's going to come in. We're going to (laughs) Toodle. And and we'll talk about some of these words when we get to move too fast. So we're giving away one of the tips here. But Hmm. part of not making this cursory swipe is hit other spots. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't just think, don't just think, you know, exactly where those pheasants are going to be. Cause everybody else probably thinks the same mm-hmm. thing. Take another swing, go through this, go through that. That grass looks a little light. Oh boy. Maybe they're there. Oh boy. There's a bird. There's birds here. Why are they there? Cause everybody else is making cursory swipes right. where, 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 where they think the pheasants should be. And if you get, I'll tell you this, if I have 160 acres and I walked it for 28 minutes and you say, you can drive an hour to another place or you can go take two more, three more swings through different spots of this 160 acres, which is a lot of land, mm-hmm. by the way, 
I'll, I'll go back and hunt every time because I'm more likely to shoot a pheasant when my dog's on the ground than I am driving somewhere else. <laughs> well, that, that leads in perfectly to number seven, the mistake that people make is sticking too close to the plan, right? Yep. And this, this relates to multiple points that we're making, but it, it relates to why you maybe don't want to hunt with a group when you're real serious about wanting to kill a pheasant. It relates to maybe not hunting with a crowd or even a partner, but you can stick, you can, and I'll, everybody does it. I mean, no, nobody really goes out unless it's a, like you said, maybe it's a huge, uh, a full section of grass mm. and the, and those are out there and you just like there's nowhere to go but follow your dog mm-hmm. everybody makes a little plan but the worst thing you can do is stick to that plan like they're going to be along this cattail edge i know it and your dog just wants to go somewhere else and you keep whistling it back it's like mm, maybe that dog knows what he's doing mm-hmm. let's not stick to this plan and it, and it also comes down to um, what's better, a bird in the hand or a bird in the bush. Mm-hmm. And you see a couple pheasants fly, and they fly, uh, and coming off sharp tail season, I'm looking forward to seeing some pheasants fly and seeing them land. And like it's not like seeing a sharp tail go, or worse yet, a prairie chicken. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're looking. At, I'm holding my hand over my was a visor <laughs> now. They're they're still flying four miles away. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should go hunt where that pheasant is. Take mm-hmm. a bird, take a bird potentially in the hand over 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 a bird in the bush. But so it relates to multiple angles here. But the idea is trust that dog, and we'll get into that. And and you'll get over a hill, you'll get into rise, you'll find some terrain, you'll be like, wow, that looks good. I'm not finding them in this blue stem, but maybe they're over in these willows or maybe they're coming back from the feed. Maybe I should walk that light grass edge up there. Um, There's umpteen reasons not to stick to this rigid plan that you think is going to produce the birds. And it comes down to what are you seeing for habitat and what is my dog telling me? So we, you talked a lot about when you're out there, you know, diving deeper, working harder, spending more time. How often do you go in and have the exact opposite? And what I'm talking about is like, <clears throat> you know, from the road, from the parking area, wherever the vehicle is, looks pretty good, right? You get out there 100 yards with your dog, and you're kind of like, I don't feel it. This, you know, I, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what my dogs are, you know, it might be thinner than you thought. It might be just brome grass and nothing else in there and you're like you know five minutes in I'm gonna bail I'm gonna completely give up on this and go somewhere else how often does that happen to you where you you change the game plan but it's not go in deeper but just like pull the pin and go somewhere else that's a really good question and I I gotta admit I'm a I'm stubborn. I'm, a, I'm I'm Bohemian and Welsh from my dad. Bohemian on my mom's side, Welsh from my dad's side. Coal miners on one side, uh, serfs and farmers on the other. I I would say ten percent of the time I'll give up. Mm. I say the other ninety. I'm just I'm going to explore that and think maybe something's over this next hill. Maybe some maybe around this corner it's better. Maybe other people think it looks like crap too, mm-hmm. and that means there's a bird or two here. Mm. And I, and I always I always think about pheasant hunting this way is especially uh, you know as a as a Minnesota as a Wisconsinite by birth and a Minnesotan by life uh, now and a, and a, is. Two pheasants is the limit for much of the year. It don't take much to get two pheasants. Mm-hmm. And if I can dig one out of this sort of crappy spot, what the heck? I'll do it. I'll put in two hours for one pheasant. That's pretty good hunting if you ask me. So I think you make a good point that there is a time to back out, but I seldom will do it. <laughs> you know, what is backing out, 10 minutes or an hour, you know? I'm thinking more along the lines of the 10 minutes, and yeah. I feel like – you know, the, um, the more comfortable and confident I am, you know, the, the more veteran I feel I am, whether it's rough grouse, bobboy quail, or rooster pheasants, I can walk in and like, you know, I'm going to burn myself and burn my yeah. dog out and I should, 
I, I think, should pull yeah. the pin and try something something different. This doesn't feel right. I think you make a good point, and I, I, I mean, I could probably learn from that because I've probably spent a lot of hours in my life <laughs> scour, scouring places. That, that that's another one of your words, right? Yeah, scouring yeah, that I, I that scouring places that don't end up as an onyx on my mm-hmm. on my onyx, you know. App app and bible diary Mm -hmm. you know and so that's probably a fault of mine is just keep going keep going don't give up let's give it give it give it more probably more than it's worth and you're right there's probably a time and and as we get more and more experienced as as listeners as you get more and more experienced as a hunter you know i i had a perfect example in, in sharp tail hunting in south dakota this year I spent a day without getting one bird, and everybody has that, but I virtually spent the whole day thinking, I'm not going to shoot a grouse here, I'm not going to shoot a grouse here, and I I keep fairly meticulous journals. I hunted eight different spots, and every one, I probably should have been done after 10 minutes, but Mm. I gave them all an hour. Mm. And so you make a good point, especially, especially when you're limited in dog power. Yeah, well, and, and that's a hard thing. I equate it to fishing, right? We it, there's a term fishing memories, yeah, right, yeah, and, it, and the same is true with hunting. Um, <clears throat> we we hunt memories based on where we had success in the past, yeah. Um, whether it's deer, turkeys, rough grouse, pheasants, quail, yeah. And we have to realize that habitat changes, yep. whether it's growing mature, it needs a burn or whatever, and. The, the more you spend in the field, the more you're going to, whether you intellectually know it or feel it in your guts, yeah, sometimes you just need to, to um, Here, ad lib. Here's a corollary to what you said, where we're hunting memories is, and, and I I've, I've try and follow this rule religiously, is every time you go out hunting, and we're talking about us public land hunters here, mm-hmm. is hit a, new, hit a spot you've never hit before every time. Mm. Don't, don't never, never rely on your old standards. It's okay to go back to them, but don't rely on them entirely. And what the heck, if you hit one out of three mm-hmm. to add that on X mm-hmm. in it, to put that little check on your paper map, you, you've done your job. Yeah. So it makes you a truly a better hunter when you start to just explore and, yep. and fail. Yep. Failure in every sense. Finding birds, missing birds, um, it makes you better here. as a bird hunter. So here's here's one more corollary there. Then we'll move on to number eight, and that is every t- and I do this every time I shoot a sharp tail, a ruffed grouse, a woodcock, a pheasant. I stop and I look around. Mm-hmm. What is this bird? Why is this bird here? What is it doing here? Just put that in your arsenal, everybody. What what is this in right. and examine you, the habitat and yep. the, the context of the situation? Do you do you take it the step where you pop open the crop of that bird and see what they're eating instantly, or do you wait? I just I just showed Bob a picture before we started of a rough grouse crop that I literally my son shot out of a cornfield, and yes, so the answer is a hundred percent yes. Check that crop, see what they're eating. I mean, eighty percent of the time you're going to see a whatever it's a wheat a cut wheat stubble corn whatever you're gonna know what's in there but check it you know maybe they're eating dogwood berries or grasshopper or grasshopper early season i guarantee you or this early season especially as mild as everything is mm-hmm. you're gonna be in young birds mm-hmm. you're, there's gonna be hoppers in these birds mm-hmm. and that's another reason maybe to hunt that little thinner grass right tells you it's gonna tell you at least some of the clues to where to find them we just made it 12 and not 11. <laughs> All right. Oh. Number eight. The number eight mistake pheasant hunters make, they move too fast. I love this one. I'm a, Bob, Bob knows one of my favorite words is toodle. <laughs> and you look it up, T-O-O-D-L-E. <laughs> and it's to, to wander aimlessly without a point and enjoyably. And that's what, to me, that's what pheasant hunting is. I'm tootling along. <laughs> but, Carp, you just said, don't treat this as a casual endeavor. This is, a, this is a, I, I think this fits that because I'm not treating it casually. I'm treating it as an enjoyable walk, looking for birds, 
and I'm not on a mission to get from here to there. Mm-hmm. I'm on a mission to kill a bird, and I think the best way to do it is to take to let my dog work. And, and another of my favorite words is scour, to scour this place and to let my dog figure out where that bird is or me to kick one up if I get lucky. And I think the best way to do that is not to take a run through and have the dog blow every and and everybody's got different uh, different approaches for how they how they like their dog working. If you're a flusher person, almost guaranteed you want that dog within gun range. Uh, people don't everybody doesn't differ. Some people like their their pointers really ranging out there, and that's awesome. That's fun. I keep I keep my little lark within flushing range because mm. you never know what a pheasant is going to do. Mm-hmm. It we have to scour like a flushing hunter does, and say what you will that everybody's got their strategies. Everybody figures out the way they like to hunt pheasants, and and if you hunt them enough, you start figuring out what works for you, and that's what works for us. And what works is I'm not rushing, running around trying to get there, trying to hit here, trying to get back to the car and run in the next spot. I, well, I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of times, especially in the later, as season gets in mid and late when the weather is agreeable, I, and by agreeable, I mean I can hunt that midday. It's that, it's that the perfect, what we all think, or what I think anyway, is the perfect pheasant hunting day. It's 25 degrees at dawn, <laughs> and it's 40 at lunchtime. Yep. And you can just, and it's a blue sky. And a light breeze. And a light breeze. And and give me a cloudy day, too. I don't care, but just give me that temperature. I might take four hour, a four-hour swing, my first one. Mm-hmm. I start at 9 a.m. I not, not, might not be back to the vehicle for four mm-hmm. hours. I'll load, I'll pack the water, I'll pack something to eat. I'll just go. Why? Because we're going slow. We're, yeah. to, we're tootling and we're scouring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tease at the beginning, but they're really not incongruent. No, you know, it, no. it, it, you know, it, being deliberate and that's slow, a great, right? that's a great word. Deliberate is a great word. Not necessarily in, I have my plan and I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. but deliberate in, I've got a job here mm-hmm. and my job is to find a bird and the best way to, f- that's, that's a perfect word. Yeah. All right. Uh, mistake number nine. <laughs> we We've been all guilty of this one. Relax your readiness to shoot. Ah, oh, geez, that bird flush. I did. I just wasn't ready. This is a this is a typical mistake. And I, I always find it funny that uh, in it in it works. But when I take a person hunting who hasn't been hunting before, or, or hasn't doesn't hunt pheasants a lot, or, or we'll just say upland birds a lot, and you get out, and, and maybe we've gotten ready, and, and you get out of the vehicle, and, okay, let's go. Here, here's what we're going to do. Here's a little plan. You come along with me. And they've got that gun, and it's they're, they've got a death grip on it, and their knuckles are white, and it's almost on their shoulder. Hmm. And 10 minutes later, it's a little lower, 20 minutes later, it's sort of on their side. 30 minutes later, it's over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And you, you, it, it, it's just such an easy thing to do to always be ready, to always catch yourself. I, I Just, why is my gun on my shoulder? Carry it mm-hmm. in some semblance at port arms that you're ready to shoot. Because, especially, obviously, if you're hunting with a flushing dog. But I'm, I, you know... I'm not, 47 years in, I'm at, not at the point of my pheasant hunting career where I'm only going to shoot pointed birds. I don't care. And birds don't, they don't cooperate. If the one goes out behind us because the dog missed it or I walk past it, I'm going to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to kill pheasants. Mm. And if you're carrying that gun in, in, in your hand, which can be unsafe, or older your shoulder, which is, we'll, we'll use the word lazy, you're gonna lose what? How 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 long would it take? You say would it take to get that gun off your shoulder? Uh, well, and, it, and start swinging it toward the bird. Right. Um, Two seconds, at least. Right. And and that's only part of the problem is the time. Right. It might, but finish yes. your thought. Yeah. No. That that that's my thing thought, and I think you're going through this to the swing aspect too. Uh, it, it, exactly. And forgive the baseball analogy, but I think about a, a hitter. You remember Julio Franco? No, don't know So that. Julio Franco, Indians uh, infielder, and he would hold the bat 
like way over his head and he'd swing and, and when he the ball would come he'd have this huge motion and he was a good hitter but he was one of a kind right the best hitters have really what they call quiet hands right that hold real tight right and they yep. and and everything is compact and their swing is powerful and again quiet and compact right really it's right in front of them and they make a really nice stroke you yep. think about john olerud is a, a a hitter that people equate to having a great swing and in the same is true when you're swinging a shotgun in my opinion if you got it on your shoulder and you're getting it to your port arms and then getting it to your sho- to the other shoulder Trying to, to get to your, mount, your head down you got all this motion and you're not quiet anymore yeah. But when, if you're port arms, you're like that hitter getting ready on a 100 mile an hour fastball. It's like, boom, and you're ready. Yep. Right? And your you're gun is shouldered, you're swinging. And part of it, as you alluded to, is speed. But part of it is it's quiet. And, and, and not, I'm not talking about sound, yep. just sleek smooth. movement, smooth yep. movement. It's like, boom, and you're ready, and you're swinging, and boom. And you pull the trigger, and you have such an advantage when you're shooting in that sort of a sequence than if you're Julio Franco and have have this gun on your shoulder or, you know, you're just sort of counting uh, counting goldenrod, uh, you know, stems in in the beautiful prairie, which, you know, enjoy the prairie, but be ready. You can enjoy the prairie with your shotgun ready to to swing. And and I'll also say this, and and then we'll we'll move on because this is a pretty simple tip, but it is this. A, f- a flushing rooster is accelerating mm. all the way. Mm-hmm. He's still accelerating at 20, 30, 40, 50 yards. He's not he's not sailing until he's, what, 60, 70, 80, 100 yards out there. That pheasant's moving faster. The longer it takes you to shoot, the faster he's moving, mm. the harder it is to hit. And get in front of him. And get in front of him. Add I, wind to that mix. Yeah, add wind, and you've got multiple components to miss that bird and i i'm i i'll be honest i put an improved i hunted with an improved cylinder choke all season first day to last Mm. i might even you know that's just it i i and i hit more birds close than i do far Mm -hmm. i want that bird about 15 20 yards i mean i'm I'm not kidding you and why do we hit birds so close even inexperienced people because they're not going as fast well i'll take that a step further um I, I shoot with a skeet choke. Yep. Um, I think you're smart. <laughs> the majority of the season, again, I'm hunting over a pointer, and I typically use non-toxic steel prairie storm shot, so I want yep. a more open choke. So I'm right there with you. Um, open chokes and moving fast and getting, you know, start swinging quietly, smoothly right away. As a semi-auto guy, I have to ask you, do you put it like a skeet in one and IC in the other? I do. Yeah. I do. See, the standard is IC and modified. And if if I were a double gun shooter, and who knows, maybe someday I will be, I, I think your plan is the one I would go with. <clears throat> and again, it, part of it is steel, right? Because yes, you want a yep. more open choke. Um, but uh, And part of it is shooting over a pointer. But yeah, pheasants, I, uh, skeet and, and proof cylinder and Rough grouse and sharpies, I'm skeet and skeet, uh, at least early season. Yeah. No, I'm with you. All right. Number 10 mistake pheasant hunters make, they stay home in the late season. All right. No, so here's a, uh, here's a corollary to don't, don't sit home on there. Don't, don't use crops in as an excuse in the early season, because as you're, if you recall back to that tip, we're saying day one versus day two, day versus day three, your pheasant population is just dropping and dropping. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy to come into the late season and say, yeah, those pheasants have been hammered all year. That's public ground. Uh, th- there's no birds left. There's maybe one rooster, and they're wilder than heck. I'm, I'm not even going to go. Big mistake. Mm-hmm. We know if you've hunted pheasants for any number of years that there are always roosters left. Mm-hmm. They are the creme de la creme. They're the cream of the crop. They're the survivors. They're survival of the fittest, but they make mistakes, and they are there. And you can get them in the late season. And I can guarantee you one way you won't get them, and that is if you stay home. Sure. 
And yeah, sure, sure. Maybe you're not going to go when it's 20 below zero and a 30 mile an hour wind. And, and there may even be biological reasons to do that. Mm. And here's a little, a little tip. And we're going to talk about some of that in the winter issue. There's an article on when do, when do I call it? When do I not hunt pheasants when the weather is bad? I'll tell you this, it's got to get pretty bad. And that means you have an advantage. They're, they're, if it's cold, if there's snow on the ground, there the birds become vulnerable at cert, in certain places and certain times of day, and they are there and they seem wild. But if you keep going, you keep hunting, you will get one to sit. Well, the the other thing that I think about um, late season, quote unquote, late season is all relative. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm a pheasant hunter who lives in Minnesota in December, yeah, it's late season. It's only the second month of the season in Kansas. Yep. And you know what? It's cold in Minnesota in December, and it's so nice much of the time in Kansas or Nebraska. Yep. And, you know, extend your season into January. You know, yep. you can even extend it later now in South Dakota this year. But, uh, you know, Kansas, um, Nebraska, there are some great places to go into January and um, and, and get after it, and your bird dog will thank you. And that, and that's a great point. I mean, my 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 point in the article was you just got to get out and hunt late season. But but you bring up a perfect corollary, and that is go somewhere and do it. I I went last January for a week to Kansas, and and I thought I. I thought I was in the tropics. I leaving Minnesota. I went down there. I literally it was the last in it. So two things. One, I got down there and it was the last week of the season. I I started in shirt sleeves mm. on the Colorado border and worked my way back across the state. Now we ran into some what I would call weather, just good good stuff that is good for bird hunting. But I was down there hunting and it was the end of January. Mm-hmm. So that that's the first thing. And number two, I I didn't bang them up but i got five birds on the trip and some quail five pheasants and some quail i'm like that's a pretty darn good week if you ask me because mm-hmm. the alternative would have been sitting at home watching the snow pile up and <laughs> and and sh- shoveling the driveway and and doing I, I there's umpteen reasons to go whether it's going out your back door and hunting those cattails one more time or whether it's loading up the dog and getting down in Nebraska or Kansas or this year, South Dakota, mm-hmm. open until the end of January. You mentioned the dog, and that brings us to mistake number 11 of the article you wrote, 11 Mistakes Pheasant Hunters Make. And i remind folks that's in the fall edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal one more time. If you are not currently a member, go to pheasantsforever.org, sign up, uh, and let Carp or me know that uh, you joined as a result of this podcast, and we'll get you the fall edition sent in the mail, because you will have missed it if you just signed up uh, as a member, but we appreciate you listening to the podcast and uh, joining as a result. So mistake number 11... And you can argue this could have been mistake number one. (laughs) (laughs) Or I could argue it because I make this mistake all the darn time. And now I've included it as the ending to every episode just to remind me. Yep. Number 11, mistakes that pheasant hunters make. They think they know more than their bird dogs and there's a reason this is last is because it is most important um if you see sort of the flow we've talked through and the flow you'll see in the article it starts at early season goes to late season threw in some hunting type style tips in between but this is this is the biggest one and it relates to so many of these uh ideas of and and it doesn't have it's not it's not every time but it's Maybe I want to hunt alone, just me and my dog. Maybe I want to make a plan, but be able to flex it. Maybe I want to tootle and scour a little bit, you know. And th- and then this one is, you do not know more than their dog, your dog. And there's two aspects to this. Mm. One is, my dog knows better than me where those birds are. It's we cannot fathom how that dog's nose works. But I always I always liken it, or how good it is, I always liken it to this, is 
I can see uh, an apple on a fence post 20 yards away. A dog can smell a pheasant 60 yards away the way we see an apple on a fence post 20 mm. yards away. Mm. We Nobody knows exactly how to, but it there's some there's some factor there of mm-hmm. they know they can like we 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 are visual animals mm-hmm. humans we, they smell like we see right i i forget the exact multiplier but it's something like their nose the power of their nose is something on the magnitude of 4000 times more powerful than our sense yep. of smell yep and and i was i the other thing i say is and we could talk all day about dogs and and that but is when we're cooking bacon in the house we smell it right mm-hmm. the dog smells bacon too now it's easy to think that dog must be overwhelmed with the smell of bacon. It must be for the dogs. I, I believe that I have no scientific proof on this. I'm, I'm, but I think the dog smells bacon about like we do, but the dog smells a piece of bacon a mile away that we can't mm. mm-hmm. is, and that's, that's the difference, you know, that, that is that acuity. So how does this relate to our tip? It is, it relates to all those things I said is, if your dog wants to go a certain direction, why not just follow it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and why not see what's going on? And that's a reason to hunt by yourself, to not follow the plan, to scour and tootle and go back through. And God, that was a good looking area. Let's just turn around and go through there again mm-hmm. with the wind a little different. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And I'll get pheasants doing it. Mm-hmm. I, gar- I guarantee you I will shoot, we'll say five pheasants this year reworking something I already worked yeah. or that somebody else just worked. So here's, do you, oh, you, do, well, I was just going to say that that's my number one mistake is I don't pay enough attention to the wind leaving my vehicle to put my dog into kind of the optimum yeah. area. I just, I kind of, I use my brain rather than, I, I, I use my eyes, I'm sorry, to try to pick where I want to go as opposed to thinking about the wind and putting my dog in the best situation. Yep. That's a great point that I know I make that mistake all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, un- unless the wind shifts perfectly, sure. and occasionally it does, you're always going to have some bad wind. And one way to always overcome that, and, and I'll do this a lot, is, you know, hunting in the wind is great. Get a quartering dog, that's great. I'll sometimes just hunt crosswind all the time, back mm-hmm. and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth and back and forth. And the dog is always going 90 degrees to the wind, and they have a good chance of picking something up. So trust the dog in that way. And the this is just as big to me as when a bird goes down, we all know mm-hmm. we've talked about it, how tough pheasants are. Just because a bird went down at point A, doesn't and, and was flying in direction A doesn't mean that bird is at point A and running in direction A. That dog knows. I mean, I, I can't I could tell you a dozen stories for a half an hour of the bird went down, I ran up, it's not laying there. The dog, God, get back, what are you doing? The dog knows which mm-hmm. way the bird is. You don't know where that bird went. And I, I just shake my head at how that that any dog, any good dog who's hunted is so much better than us at finding a downed bird. And I don't care if they retrieve or not. My, my little lark, she doesn't retrieve. She just goes and gives them a couple chews and puts her paw on it says, <laughs> and says, here it is, boss, come right, get it. Right. And I'm, I'm just fine with that. That's the agreement that she scratched retrieving out of her contract. But I would put, <laughs> I would put her up against any dog for finding a bird. Uh. And and I would and I would take any dog to help me find a bird that's down. Yeah. I don't care if it's a if it's a German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. They'll, they're gonna they're gonna know more than we do about finding that bird. So it all comes back to that word: trust that dog. Right. Whether you're looking for a bird to kill or whether you're looking for a bird that didn't quite hit the ground uh, in a stationary way and it's running. And we all know that happens. Mm-hmm. It's reality with pheasants. That's why we hunt with dogs and why we have good dogs and why we trust them. That's a great, you know, when I've read the, the initial header there, I was automatically thinking, well, Big, yeah. follow the dog, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, but you you have a great point on, it's not over until you have the bird in your hand it, yep. or 
that that weighty sag in your yeah. chest, right? <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> um, and, you know, we do all or we have all made the mistake of going to point A and saying, you know, the bird's got to be right here. Yeah. And, you know, bringing your dog back right here, hunt here, hunt dead, hunt dead, right here. Yep. And the reality is step back. Don't go into that spot, right? Don't muddle up the scent. Get your dog in the general area, hopefully downwind, and then let it work. Yep. Let the pup work. And that's where the magic of their nose will yep. come into a, a bountiful retrieve. I had it happen last year, as simple as can be. Pheasant, pheasant was pointed, went out, straight out, went down, got over there, no bird, called the dog over um trusted it mm-hmm. dog went back the way we had come from pointed the bird about where we had shot from mm. went back at looped back as we in some fashion as we we're coming at it mm. trust the dog trust the dog carp this has been a lot of fun it has been i uh i'm, I'm excited i hope everybody's listening to this podcast are either you know have been hunting or they're getting ready to go hunting and they've picked up something along the way here something like yeah maybe maybe those guys do know a little bit of what they're talking about <laughs> whether whether we do or not it doesn't matter what matters is you pick up an idea or a concept here or something turn it into your own yeah. and and may, have it help you put a roostery sag in your game bag this year well the 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 counts are out the forecasts are up and it uh, it looks to be a phenomenal year uh, whether you're a pheasant hunter, quail hunter, prairie grouse hunter, or just an upland bird hunter in general. So hopefully you're as excited about the season ahead as we are. Um, it's opening time for all of us, or it will be soon. Even in uh, southern Great Plains, your day is coming too. So, folks, thank you very much for listening. Please, again, join Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever. Uh, if you join and you want to get this particular issue, again, I'll invite you to email tcarpenter at pheasantsforever.org or bobs at pheasantsforever.org. Let us know you became a member as a result of this podcast. And we'll get you the Fall Pheasants Forever Journal featuring 11 Mistakes Pheasant Hunters Make by Pheasants Forever Journal Editor Tom Carpenter. Thanks, Carp. Thanks. It's been fun. All right, folks. I'm Bob St. Pierre saying always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening.